You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Swimming is such an integral part of the Australian way of life. From the coast to rural centres, we understand that children need to be taught how to swim, not just for their safety, but for enjoyment. Drowning is the leading cause of death for autistic children under the age of 14 in Australia. Erica Gleeson from Autism Swim joins us today to explain what we can do to prevent this and why swimming and water skills are being taught differently to children on the autism spectrum. Hi, Erica. How are you? Hi, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So what prompted you to start this company? So I've been working uh, in the autism sphere for about a decade now, coming from a background in um, behaviour support and skill acquisition. So I've long known the benefits of swimming for the ASD population group, physically, cognitively and therapeutically. But a couple of years ago, I started to gain some awareness of the statistics pertaining to drowning in ASD. And I didn't know them. And I thought if I, as an autism specialist of 10 years, don't know them. I wonder who else doesn't know them. Started talking to people, and I'm yet to tell one person the statistics, and they already know. So it just became something I was really passionate about from the get-go. I started to become a little bit desperate, if you will, for my clients to be engaged in swimming services. However, when discussing it with swim services, they were saying, look, we'd love to help you, we'd love to take on your clients, but we actually don't know what we're doing. We seem to just have failure after failure after failure. So if you help us, we'll help your clients. And then um, it became a little bit of a snowball effect because I didn't quite realise how much Australia was in need of this service. So here we are as a result of that. (laughs) Okay, so before we get to the skills that you're teaching both the teachers and then the children Mm -hmm. to learn how to swim when they're on the autism spectrum, if I think about autism generally and Mm -hmm. what people know about autism, there's more knowledge now than there was, say, 10 years ago. Sure. But there's still a lot of confusion about Mm. what it means and what we can do if a child is on the spectrum. I'm just wondering how problematic it is for lifesavers at Mm -hmm. beaches, pools, those sorts of things when they don't understand what it's like for a child who is neurologically different, how to approach them if they're in trouble. I mean, is that something that you've come across? Yeah, it is certainly something we've come across. And we are now working with um, surf lifesaving clubs and and some other not-for-profits and community groups to sort of overcome that issue. But it could be something as simple as a lifeguard blowing a whistle. And that's something that most people probably wouldn't consider to be problematic, but that can be hugely problematic for somebody with ASD. So perhaps the the biggest challenge that we need to overcome is that education from a a much broader perspective. So that is something we are looking to target. We don't just look at swimming pools. It extends out into any sort of body of water and anybody working within that sphere. So let's go to the children and the teachers of the children. If drowning is the leading cause, I don't Mm. need me to ask a stupid question, but... Why is it happening to these children under 14? So there's there's a range of different reasons. Generally, it's the drownings happen as a result of wandering. So step one in that process is generally that the individual will wander away. So 50% of individuals with ASD wander. Generally speaking, they will wander toward a body of water because they may associate that water with making them feel good from a sensory perspective. So it taps into that part of the emotional brain. So step one is wandering. Step two is generally that it's toward a body of water. When they get to that body of water, 
um, individuals with ASD, again, generally speaking, have, um, have difficulties in perceiving danger. So they don't have that inherent sense of danger that many other neurotypicals do. On top of that, we've got some other issues. Um, so there's an, an overall lack of awareness on this. So quite often parents haven't been given specialised support with this. Individuals with autism often present with difficulties in generalisation. So that means that they may be able to swim in a swimming pool but when it comes to generalising that to a lake or a beach or to a different swimming instructor, they're not able to generalise those skill sets. So the statistics are very high for individuals drowning in bodies of water that aren't beach and pool because they've had very little exposure to those. Until recently, there's been an overall lack of specialised services. So um, again, stemming back to that overarching issue of um, swimming instructors not feeling like they have the required support and resources to deliver services to individuals with ASD. When we look at a typical swimming class, for children where they're quite young ages and most four-year-olds can start to swim but they're in the pool with someone. What are the challenges children on the spectrum have in the atypical swimming class for kids? So there's a a range of of different difficulties there. The way in which information is delivered to our swimmers with ASD is often not conducive to the way that their brain acquires skill sets. So for instance, we know that Generally speaking, the retention of visual information is far stronger than auditory with the ASD brain. So it can actually take double the amount of cognitive capacity for a learner to try and process the information being delivered to them in the way that it would for a neurotypical. There's a lot of sensory difficulties in the pool environment that if you don't have any knowledge on that, you'd probably overlook. It's so noisy, right? It's very echoey. There's a, generally a strong scent of chlorine. And there's splashing. There's a lot of visual stimuli, auditory stimuli. It can just be a really overwhelming environment. Behaviours of concern are very common within the ASD population group. For instance, 50% of individuals with autism exhibit physical aggression. So one of the, the common pieces of feedback we get from swim instructors is that they spend the vast majority of their lessons supporting the behaviours and therefore the individual doesn't get any exposure to the programmatic elements. So they're actually not getting to the, the crux of what they need to be doing. And that sort of goes hand in hand with a lack of understanding pertaining to the need to remain flexible and adaptable. So for instance, some pools have a rule that you can't access the swimming pool if you don't wear goggles or you don't wear a swimming cap. Well, that basically eliminates 90% of the age population group. And is um, that because they don't like having that sort of clingy material yeah, on their face? Yeah, if they're a sensory avoider, then that can be hugely problematic for them. Mm. They may be a sensory seeker, in which case they may be looking for that weight on their head. But if they're a sensory avoider, that is just an insane amount of discomfort for them. Again, we have that issue with generalisation. So if it's a different swimming instructor or a different swimming pool, that may cause difficulty from a, a little bit more of a psychology point of view there are three main areas of the brain involved in swimming the cerebral cortex or the thinking brain the amygdala which is also known as the emotional brain and the brain stem which is also known as the primitive brain so these are really complex systems within themselves however they're working alongside of one another when learning swimming skills so this adds so much more complexity to the skill acquisition process so there's a need to ensure each element is supported and strengthened to ensure success in the water. And quite often that's where we see the breakdowns. It's just one of those areas of the brain where it's not conducive to the learner and therefore the whole lesson's sort of out the window. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Erica Gleason, who's a clinical director of Autism Swim. And we're talking about why we need to think about how we're teaching children who are on the autism spectrum how to swim 
because in Australia, drowning is the leading cause of death for autistic children under the age of 14. And it's it's startling because in Australia, of course, we all expect our children to know how to swim. But there are certain obstacles or challenges, I should say, for children who are on the spectrum. Erica, when we talk about the skills that we're trying to teach them, is it easier for children on the spectrum to have their own class? What we recommend is one-on-one to begin with. Then you can actually target some really individualised goals and skill sets. Down the track, we can look at um, some, some more social opportunities to go along with that. But because the safety risks are so high, it's something where we prioritise that over potential socialisation. So we recommend two times 30-minute lessons a week, which are one-on-one, and then down the track we, we may look at some sort of um, integrative process. And uh, you've spoken a little bit about water therapy and swimming skill sets on your website. What's mm-hmm. that about? We work under four key focus areas. So the first one is drowning prevention or water safety. The second one is water therapy. The third is the actual development or acquisition of swimming skill sets. And the fourth is generalising all of those skills to different bodies of water and different people. So um, in terms of water therapy, we know that 84% of individuals with ASD uh, exhibit anxiety or have have symptoms that represent anxiety. So water therapy is a huge component of what we do um, because there's no point trying to go in hard with directives if somebody's feeling highly anxious. We do know from many, many years of research the, the therapeutic benefits of water, so we really like to capitalise on that in, in our lessons. This all sounds fabulous, but one thing I'm thinking as a parent, particularly knowing friends who have children who are on the spectrum, is the issue of cost because if Mm. children are already going to occupational therapy and they've got all sorts of things going on, um, of course, some people can access, most people can access support. But is swimming and these lessons, which seem so valuable, are they part of the suite of things that parents can claim or get financial support for? Yeah, I mean, through the National Disability Insurance Scheme, um, people's funding arrangements remain a little bit subjective. We're still learning a lot from that. The general rule of thumb that I've found in my work is that the National Disability Insurance Scheme won't fund swimming lessons its entirety because they say that everybody needs swimming lessons, not just this individual who has a disability. But often what they're doing is funding the difference in cost between a a group and a one-on-one if it can be justified why the individual needs a one-on-one lesson. One of our long-range goals is for swimming lessons to be compulsory for the ASD population group. So we've just started liaising with some state government bodies to embed it into the curriculum. And it sort of strikes me as remarkable that that hasn't happened already. But the pursuit remains. It can be quite taxing from a monetary perspective to deliver lessons in a one-on-one ratio. However, again, due to the high risk, in our experience, parents are really happy to prioritise that because of those risk factors. And also, as you mentioned, there are other benefits that come along apart from stopping. Yeah, there's just actually been a new study come to light to, to indicate that swimming can increase communication skills in individuals. So on our website, there's a whole range of benefits, but the increased vocalisations or communication skills is, is a recent thing that's come to light, which is really quite exciting. You're based in Sydney. If people live in other parts of Australia, how can they access this information? How can they find teachers who are trained? Sure. So we're actually Australia-wide, so head offices in Sydney, but we're operating in four soon-to-be five states. Sending us an email or or visiting our website is perhaps the the easiest, which is www.autismswim.com.au. 
The main way it works is that swim centres or swim instructors become autism swim approved. So that means that they receive ongoing training and consultancy and resources from us in order to deliver a better service to, to their swimmers who have ASD. On top of that, we run a range of different programs, for instance, the Modified Nippers program, and that's run for free at a few different locations around Australia. We have some resources available to parents like the Wandering and Prevention Toolkit, which will be launched next month. But in terms of where to go for more information, our website's the first port of call. Erica, it's been so interesting. I can understand why it surprises you. More people don't know about this. And I hope that you're successful in getting it as part of the curriculum. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. That was Erica Gleeson. She's a clinical director of Autism Swim. If you weren't quick enough to get down that website, we will, of course, include the link online this afternoon. Just head to kindling.com.au and then you can head to their website and find out all about their program. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.